amazing how the weeks fly by, but we've now finished uh, the Rome Masters. Of course, Roland Garros just around the corner. And for this week's podcast, welcome along. And we are saying a warm welcome to Jamie Delgado. Jamie, great to have you with us. Of course, a, a former Davis Cup player for Great Britain and uh, more recently uh, a well-known coach, not least with Andy Murray. How are you and uh, how is he doing? Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. He's uh, he's doing very well. He's um, had his operation at the very end of January and he's feeling good. I mean, he's he's uh, feeling way better, as you can imagine, than pre-surgery because he was in, you know, a lot of pain, as, as people could see, not just playing tennis, just in everyday life. It was very, very uncomfortable for him. So, you know, to see him not in that position anymore and, and uh, be, you know, pretty much pain-free is good to see not 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 just for tennis reasons just for his general life it's uh it's uh you know he's in a much better position but of course you guys went to melbourne and and then all the emotion initially of that press conference and and then the match itself and what he said afterwards so it was a bit uh, sort of confused perhaps as to what the future would be but um where is the future now where are we at this stage well i think at that at that sort of going back to Australia, it was an emotional time. And I think genuinely, you know, not quite sure what the the future was going to bring. It wasn't, you know, decided for sure that he was going to have that surgery um, at that time. So, you know, even, you know, we didn't know at, at, at that stage. And obviously, when you have a surgery like that, how successful it will it be? Um, again, that's an unknown. So, so there was a lot of unanswered questions at that, at that time. But at the moment, I think again, it's still quite a relaxed kind of outlook, really, from from our point of view. It's it's um, yes, you know, kind of see how he goes, really. I mean, there's there's no dates on when he plans to start playing or anything like that. Um, he's you know he's up and practicing and, and feeling good, and, and let's see where it takes us. Are you working with him now? Then is that the plan for the next uh, sort of week or so? What 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 is the plan? Yeah, well, I start with him again tomorrow. Um, obviously, he's practicing light at this stage but 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 doing well and then I'll be I'll be with him all the time yeah so I mean as the weeks go on you know the plan will obviously and and you know with his injury he'll start feeling better and and things will will ramp up a little bit and and you know that's when we'll learn more as well of, of how his body reacts to you know to certain sessions and certain situations and um and see how we go like I say I've had a few months away from from tennis with him um, and tomorrow's the first day, but he, he's been hitting now for a couple of weeks, and and as you can imagine, hitting the ball pretty well, and, and you know that never goes. It's um, but like I say, over the coming weeks, we'll 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 up it a little bit. So what's it been like, Delgy, for you? A couple of months away from tennis because it's been relentless for you for thirty years plus. Yeah, exactly. It's been. Um, I didn't know how it would be exactly. Um, I thought I'd be home a lot of the time but I've also tried which is I've actually enjoyed doing a few different things which which I've done but it's you know so it was also a, a sort of chance for me to kind of improve myself as well I actually spoke to the LTA and and because um, as you know when you go on uh, as a coach on on the tour you you get employed straight away like in my case uh, with Gilles Muller and you don't have qualifications you don't um, you know go through any courses and, and things like that and and, and obviously, then I went with Andy, and, and and again, you don't go, you know, the players don't ask for that. It's not something that's kind of asked for from players at the, the highest end of the game. So I, I kind of spoke to the LTA and, and wanted to, you know, to learn more, and because and, there's 
so many different types of coaching. There's 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 coaching of the best players in the world, and there's also coaching of you know younger younger players, which is a totally different skill set and how academies work, and and just learning a little bit more about the you know the mechanics of the game and and how to teach people technically a little bit more, which is not something that you do an incredible amount when you're, you're dealing again with players at the top end of the game that are, that are you know that are set and they're, and they're you know they're they're very technically sound really. So I used I've done a few weeks of that with Louis Kai at the LTA and I found that really helpful and um, and I've also done a few bits for Wimbledon and and uh, and a bit of private stuff as well. So I've actually kept myself pretty busy, which has been good fun. But yeah, it's been a bit of time away from Andy, that's for sure. Yeah, I, mean, I was in Hong Kong with for Wimbledon for the road to Wimbledon. Um, went there with uh, Jeremy Bates and Lucy Arl and really enjoyed that. Actually, that was there were sort of full on days and and uh, a lot of clinics and again working with younger kids that you know they're the best players in Hong Kong and and were hoping to win that tournament to go over and play Wimbledon in the summer. So I don't know. I kind of sort of tried to put myself in a few different situations and 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 experience different things but I mean going back to the, the few months away from Andy when you say I miss it but then you also miss the the competition you know it's, it's kind of a drug I think in in our lives in our bodies that we that we love those nerves we love to feel the ups we love to feel that not the downs but it's part it's part of the journey and, and you miss that so it's you know all going well and, and Andy's fit and, and starts playing again it's um you know that's the bit that I, I miss you know match days is getting ready for matches and and uh, getting players ready and, and, and just dealing with everything that comes with the match day is something that you, or I have done anyway, is, is missed it a lot. What surface are you going to be working with Andy on? Uh, at the moment, we're, we're going to be practicing on hard courts just because feels a bit safer underfoot. So it's not, it's, you know, even though we're coming into the grass court season here and grass courts are available or clay, it's just a bit slippery and, and can just jar the body a little bit so at the moment we're going to just stick to hard courts and and uh, until he's more confident you know and, and then move on to the surface that he's going to play on you know whatever that might be but but initially it's hard courts for sure yeah obviously wild cards Jamie have have been sort of put on offer for him he knows he could step into Queens or Wimbledon or both if, if he wants to um, but how late in the day might you leave that decision do you think oh that'll be very, very late because it's um you know, because we don't we don't know where, where where he's at exactly at the moment, and and nobody does. So yeah, I think with the success he's had over the years, I'm sure they'll hold on to that for him till pretty late, and, and of who he is. But yeah, in terms of giving an inkling of of when we would make a decision, it wouldn't be for a long time yet. So you wouldn't have to register for the pre qualies <laughs> <laughs> No, that's what me and you used to do, Basil. But no, not him. He doesn't need to do that one. <laughs> with, without umpires, those were the days. <laughs> they were physic. Chiswick uh, Sports Ground, isn't it? Yeah. yeah those those one. grass courts were soft. I know. We needed them soft to get get, get a few wins. Yeah. Now, that really <laughs> is a few years ago, but um, just a few years ago. In fact, 2016, of course, was when you teamed up with Andy, Jamie, and, and what an amazing year it was going all the way to the titles he had and eventually to, to the world number one ranking. And, uh, of course, one of the titles that he won along the way that year was in Rome. And we've just been witnessing uh, this week the latest uh, event there. And uh, of course, both for the, the men and the women, a lot of excitement, a lot of interest, uh, a lot of difficult weather for them to deal with and a lot of long matches, particularly for Novak Djokovic. Rafa finally getting a clay court title 
before going back to Roland Garros. I think we were wondering, would this be the year when he didn't have one before going back to the French Open? But he came through 6-love, 4-6-6-1. I think that's the first bagel ever between the two of them in, what is it now, over 50, well over 50 matches. But he's right back where he wants to be, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, it's like you say, when you've got the, such high standards and, and we've not been used to seeing him lose, you know, hardly even just pushed in matches, let alone lose matches, it's, um, you know, people sort of jump on someone like that very, very quickly. Is it, is, it the, is it the end for him? Has he lost his edge? Is he not playing as well? Is You know, many times we, we tend to sort of ask these questions to these top players and they're forever, you know, it's just only a blip. In my opinion, he's only, he's, he's made a few semifinals on clay. He's now won Rome, I think. I'm not sure, but he might have won the most clay court matches out of anyone going into the French Open. So he, either number one or number two, I would say. So he's very much, for me, going into the French Open as favourite. I mean, for sure, he's, you know, getting a big title like that, like he has today in Rome, will will just put him at ease. And, and, and that confidence, he'll be feeling amazing, I'm sure, right now. And, he, and he's beating Djokovic, number one in the world. He's beating Sissipas, who we lost to last week. So you can kind of put that loss for him to bed a little bit in Madrid. Uh, as well, a little bit of altitude always in Madrid, which I, I know Rafa's won there before but it's not his favorite event in terms of the conditions so he, it's um look it's just a couple of losses he's had against good players and I still see him as the the favorite for, for the French Open and and like you say back in 2016 the weather I remember Andy playing in the final against Novak there and it was kind of drizzling the whole match and it's been it's been a little bit like that that there this week as well which has caused a little bit of a problem for Novak, hasn't he? I've, I've kind of seen a few things complaining about the order of play and him playing late last night and having to come back today earlier. But, I mean, having said all that, I think Rafa's the, the favourite for the French Open. Which was also the case, Jamie, back in 2016, because Novak in the semi-final had the epic with Nishikori. That was late. And same again this year, also the Del Potro match in the quarters. So what could they do differently? Could they have both semi-finals in the afternoon? But then you can't have the late match Friday, can you? Yeah, exactly. I just think just starting, I think they started the match at 8 p.m., didn't they, last night? No, night, was that 8 p.m. British time? It was uh, 7 p.m. British time. Yeah, so 8 p.m. local time. You've got to think as well, they're not just playing matches. If you get involved in a long match, it's, you know, the, the, the time that these guys spend after the matches is a long time before they get to bed, before they've sort of eaten and done their exercises and massage and all that kind of stuff. You know, he wouldn't have got to bed till, you know, two, three in the morning, probably by the end, by the time he's getting a good night's sleep. I just think maybe an earlier start, maybe. I mean, I don't see because they obviously both matches have got to be played on centre court, haven't they? So uh, I just think whoever gets that late match is definitely at a slight disadvantage, especially if you if you get yourself in a bit of a three setter, which he did. And then to come back to the final and, and play someone like Rafa, who's also so physical, I'd I don't know how you can kind of get around it. It's not easy from the tournament's point of view because they, they want people to come and watch in the evening. It's a, it's a big deal, isn't it? And this, of course, is when you have back-to-back masters, you know, week after another week. And, and Djokovic, having been so successful in Madrid, then having got through all the way in Rome, albeit they had, everybody had that, that day off because of the rain midweek, but then they had to play two matches in a day. And then, of course, he had Del Potro over three hours against uh, the Argentinian there. And, and then Schwartzman doing sort of similar job against him, as you say, in the semi-finals. So it was a heavy workload and, and yeah. clearly watching him in that first set, he really looked very flat and Rafa yeah. really, you know, sharpened up for the match and took that first set away from him. I, mean, I thought it was a great effort from Djokovic to force his way through into the second set and, and eventually take that. But ultimately, Nadal found an extra gear at the end. Yeah, I mean, it's 
Going back to the scheduling, of, you kind of pointed it out well there, the Madrid and the Rome weeks, two weeks in a row. It's the same in the American summer where they have Canada and Cincinnati, and then you only have one week before the Grand Slam. So if you're quite often in the American swing, players won't play both events. They'll either just come for one of them and pull out the other or skip Canada and start later. Because it's, it's very hard to do two weeks at that intensity. And then you know, a lot of people think, oh, you've got a week before... Uh, the French Open, but you're going to have a couple of days off there probably. Then you're going to kind of ease into the, the practice week in, in Paris and you don't actually get that many kind of high-intensity practices because, you know, the, the Sunday before Paris, for example, that's the day there that you're going to be taking it easy as well. So you actually only get one or two days then to play a couple of sets on the courts in Paris. So it's it's quite rushed. Um, it is, isn't it? And And it's arguably harder in a way to win these back-to-back masters these two weeks particularly on the clay then perhaps to, to win a major because at the major you know you can have a maximum of what um, 35 sets not that you'd want to play five sets all the yeah. time but but you know you have the days in between and and here what are they playing 10 matches in total in the two-week period best of three so you know potentially 30 sets in two weeks but without you know as much rest time it's a tall order it is. And the, and again, we're talking about the top guys. These weeks before the Grand Slams, they also have quite a lot of commercial stuff to do. They set, they, they kind of cramp in quite a lot of, you know, shoots or s- certain appearances. A lot of them happen in that week. So it's it turns out to be a quite a, a tough week for them as well because they're trying to get the right balance of practices. That's often kind of dictated by other things that they've got to do off the court. And it can be... It's, it's sometimes not that an, uh, an easy week as you as you'd imagine. Um, there's a lot going on there, and um, on top of the two weeks, I think it can be quite tough. Do you think that's one of the reasons, Jamie, and you touched on your best of five sets of Grand Slams that the ATP have stopped the finals being best of five because years ago, Rome final, I remember the the Federer um, Nadal unbelievable match, seven six in the fifth. Is that one of the reasons why yeah. they stopped it? Uh, I don't actually know if that's the reason, but it, it totally makes sense to me to play that kind of match just a week before a major. You know, things can happen. You, it can rain a little bit. You, you just don't know. There's so many things that can be involved. So, I mean, I wasn't part of that decision, but it, it would. Uh, I think the players would be very happy that they wouldn't have to play five sets. Um, again, that could take a couple of days to recover. And before you know it, it's Wednesday or Thursday before the French Open, before you've kind of completely recovered and uh, you haven't really sort of tested yourself on the courts there. Because, you know, it doesn't matter how well you're playing on the other clay courts, you do want to feel the ball and, you know, on the courts at Roland Garros. And how different are the courts at Roland Garros compared to to Rome? They always used to say Rome is, is the closest to Roland Garros out of the clay court events. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the French Open, those courts, again, it's just so dependent on the weather. And I think on when the sun's out a little bit, that's that's uh, Chatrier Court in Paris is kind of just made for Rafa. The way that ball jumps off that court, I don't, I haven't seen that ball jump off that court the same in Rome as it does in Paris. I think it's more can be more bouncy in Paris, and even though it can get a little bit quicker there, you know, Rafa loves it because it, the the ball just jumps off the court even more then, and it's it's uh, he just pushes you further and further back from the baseline, and you know it's it's, it's very very tough to, to hurt him from back there. Um, so if it's not Nadal or Djokovic, who else is in that list of potentially going the whole way? I think for me, I mean it, it, the, the last few years, and again he's he's up to it again this year uh, on clay is Dominic Team. I think he's he's not as consistent as those guys. He's more 
he's more susceptible to, to put in a bad performance and he, he plays super aggressive tennis. So he's, you know, he can make mistakes and he can sort of beat himself sometimes. But when he's on, he does have the firepower to beat those guys. I was quite surprised that he won Indian Wells on hard courts. I thought I wasn't, you know, a few, looking back a few years ago, I wasn't sure how much success he would get on, on hard. I, I kind of sort of viewed him as, as, as heavily uh, having all his best results on clay, but he is improving his hard court game again. But I, w- I would go for Dominic Team just, just purely on, on his day, his level of tennis is, is, can match those guys. Where do you guys put Federer's sort of return to clay? What, how would you assess what he's achieved over the last couple of weeks, what that's meant to him perhaps going forward? I think he'd be delighted with, with the way he's played in the last couple of weeks. He's, um, you know, quite often comes into these tournaments sometimes with not an, an, an amazing amount of practice. So I, I think he'd be delighted. I think, you know, for him to win the French Open, it's going to be a, it's a tall ask, that one, because it's, um, again, it's, you know, he, he's going to probably be involved in a couple of five-set matches. You know, I know he pulled out with a back this week, but he's had, he has had a few back issues, I think, in recent years. So, so you know, if the matches get too physical for him, that'll be a bit of a problem for him. You know, I hate to, to, to you know, it's probably the first time I've ever said this, but I don't see him winning the event. He got absolutely what he wanted. Uh, I think his decisions to play the clay was he wanted to get miles in his legs and yeah. also to come through tough moments because I think what counted against him, Delgie, last year at Wimbledon, well, I know it didn't count against him the year before, but what certainly was against him last year was he cruised through the first week and then the first time he was under a little bit of pressure and he was pushed, he, he didn't really look that secure. But the last two weeks... Saved those match points against Monfils. I know he had match points against team. This week, he saved another couple of match points against Charity. He's had long matches. So that was probably not a surprise, given the tennis he's had, that with that little niggle to the leg that he, he decided to pull out against Tsitsipas. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I totally agree. I think, you know, looking at his decision to play on the clay, my first reaction to that was not for him to be seeing himself winning the French Open or winning the tournaments. It was... For me, he was looking at that as keeping his eye in, maintaining competitive tennis, you know, staying fit, keeping, you know, playing big points and, and feeling that, that competition purely to get himself ready for the grass. You know, he, he obviously plays in Stuttgart and Halle, but that, all that takes is for him one year to, to, to have a, an early loss there. And then he's going into Wimbledon with no matches since March. And it's, it's, a, it's a high risk that he played a couple. You know, he obviously does win matches on the grass, but it's, it's a slightly risky play. So I think very much playing the clay court season is with the grass court season in mind. I've got no doubt about that. On the women's side, Karolina Pliskova said after winning the title, she said, well, nobody um, backed me to do this this week, including myself. But with Conchita Martinez working with her full time now, she, she's had a great run and obviously today got the better of Joe Conta, who's done so well on the back of her final appearance from Rabat to get to, to this final, a really big final again. And uh, a great effort from her, Jamie. You, you must be thrilled from a British point of view of what Joe's now doing. I mean, it's some year she's turning this into. Yeah, I mean, she, she obviously hit those heights a couple of years ago, getting to four in the world. And she's always impressed me so much with her work ethic, her intensity, her desire. And I, I don't know if that slightly dropped off a little bit with all the success she had. But, you know, the, 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 all the signs I'm seeing this year is that, that that's back and she's and you can see it, clay has not been a surface that has come unbelievably naturally to her. Always been more suited to hard courts and, and indoors and grass. So I think that makes it even more impressive for her to get through these matches, tough situations, just shows the work that she's put in behind the scenes. 
And uh, again, you know, the way she's playing on clay, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't bet against her to have a, an excellent grass court season as well. I think it's, you know, when Tim Henman was playing as well, it was, you know, working towards the... There's some players that this is their biggest moment of the year. This is the clay court season. This is their time to shine. They're going to win the tournament. There's other players who who also, you know, believe they're going to do very well in it, but they've got, a, uh, you know, the grass court season in mind. And I think for for Conta, I think this is a, a great stepping stone to, for her to have another good Wimbledon. What was amazing about this week, you look at the, 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 the women players who pulled out, eight of them, Osaka, Muguruza, Kvitova, Gerges, Korne, Serena, Ostapenko and Wozniacki. I don't think I've ever seen eight players pull out in a week. No, you're right. It's a, it's, it's a huge number. But I think going back to that week, because it's so close as well to a Grand Slam, I think people just, if there's anything in the balance, if they're not quite mm-hmm. feeling right, you know, they'll, they'll pull out because they're, you know, right, going to take a few days off, get my injury a little bit better or whatever it is, and then I'll be ready for the French Open rather than, you know, push it for a few days there and it might set you back. So I think the fact that it's so close to a Grand Slam, it just kind of, you know, if it's a, if it's a, in the balance, I think the, that they quite often sort of pull the cord on it a little bit mm. there. Going back to what Joe Conta has done, uh, she started the year, that match, that very, very late match in Melbourne that she had with Muguruza. I mean, she didn't win it, but it was a really high quality encounter. And it was kind of the start of a whole run of big matches and battles that she's fought through, not least, Jamie, in in Fed Cup and and sort of leading for Great Britain and what she's done in helping them now get back into to world group uh, contention is, is a tremendous uh, thing that she can surely use as a platform. It's the kind of thing she needs, albeit she didn't pick up titles, but she's picked up a lot of confidence having got through so many big matches as she has. Yeah, absolutely. I think playing for your country in Fed Cup, you know, even, you know, she's played some, got through some tough situations. I always feel when people play in, in Davis Cup and Fed Cup, because the, the pressure is so high, and you know it's it's a different kind of atmosphere. If you can get through tough situations playing those, I really think it helps you a lot on the tour. It's actually Katie Bolter as well who did really well at the Fed Cup, then got injured kind of during it, and it was, you know, it was it was you know I felt sorry for her because it was a great opportunity to then push on because I know that feeling when you come through those big matches in a team competition. I really think it's a uh, it's a great opportunity for you to then go on the tour and, and show show people how well you're playing. But I think she's, like you say, she's played so many good matches and, and it's all coming together for a little bit on, on the surface that least uh, suits her, really, which is, which is great. And she, of course, in one day earlier in the week, beat no less than Sloane Stevens from a set down. Then she beats Venus Williams in straight sets. She comes through a three-setter against Von Drusseva in the next match and then to beat Kiki Burtons, who, of course, had just won the title in Madrid. So when you're picking up those kind of scubs, it's no surprise that you know, her ranking's going back up and she's, she's going to be seeded for the French Open. So uh, I, I would reckon that there won't be too many people wanting to face her there. No, I mean, she, she's you know, a top player. She, she, she's shown that by getting to the semi-finals of Grand Slams before and, and, and beating all, you know, won Miami in the past. So... It's, you know, for her to be competing and beating these players is not a surprise in one sense because we, we've seen her do that before and we know she's a quality player. But it's just so nice to see because she has had a little while where she hasn't, you know, hit those heights really. So it's just great to see that again. But in terms of her ability and her ball strike and stuff like that, it's, um, you know, she's got that presence on the court. She goes on to these, these matches and, and absolutely and rightly so 
you know, believe she's going to win. I thought her win against Burton's was hugely impressive. I mean, she's obviously on a great run herself. And, you know, her best surface is clay and, and very much uh, built her confidence on clay a few years ago. Now she's starting to take it on other surfaces. But I think I think to beat Burton's this week was, was definitely, for me, it was like, wow, that's, you know, it's an incredible win that. That's, uh, you know, you're playing some, some big ball there. Looking forward to the French, Jamie. Almost trying to find a needle in a haystack. Who's, who's, who do you think is going to win? Oh, um, <laughs> good question. You got me there, Baza. Um I mean, it is a needle in a haystack. Bit. I mean, you can't really say with any confidence, can you? No, no, I can't. So that, you can probably sense that in my voice. But I'm going to, I'm going to go for a little outsider, Burton. It's not an outsider because she's she's one of the best players. But I just feel like, like you say, it's so open. I think she's coming in with confidence. She does love the clay. I think she's made the semis there before, and uh, maybe it's just one, uh, maybe her year. We mentioned Fed Cup and what that's done for Conta and uh, the other British uh, women players. Jamie, you're now taking up a role with the ITF. Tell us more about that. Yes, it's um, it's a role that's it's sort of player relations role. I think the ITF have been uh, you know making a, a conscious effort to to improve the relationship that they have and communication with you know players and, and coaches and agents and and anyone who's on the tour. Um, and they had Andre Saar doing it last year, uh, who's now gone to work for uh, player relations for Tennis Australia. And they approached me to do it. And it's something that I can, can very much do, you know, alongside obviously working with Andy. When I'm at events, I'm, you know, I feel I know the players very well. And uh, just give them, a, you know, someone to talk to and someone to sort of feed ideas off. And I think that's been a bit of a problem with the ITF and the players, the feeling that the communication hasn't been there. So that, that would be the, the main, you know, the main role really to try and improve that. So would that be the players and coaches and agents speaking to you, Jamie, or would that be you trying to put across what the ITF are doing? I mean, both is, is you know, I'm, obviously I'm learning more and more what, what goes on at the ITF and why certain decisions have been made. And I, and I feel quite, quite often a lot of the, you know, people on the tour, whether that's, again, players or, or coaches or, or, or whoever, sometimes they don't get the, the correct information that's accurate. I feel that the ITF have also had their fair bit of criticism, some of it fairly, as, as they would admit, and some of it unfairly. You know, when things are not quite accurate and, and, and I'm, I'm aware of it, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be sort of trying to tell people what, what the actual truth of it is. And, and does the transition tour, does that come under your brief as well? Yes, they've obviously had problems with that. And again, a lot of criticism with that. But they're, they're very much working with the ATP and WTA and, and the, you know, the points allocation and things like that have, have, have improved a lot since, since it was uh, at the beginning of the year. So I think, I think that's going to even itself out. And I think, uh, I think people are starting to become uh, much happier with that as well now. Jamie, you played Davis Cup for Great Britain, so you obviously have a view on the event and, and, and what that meant to you. Do you have a view yet on, on how you would like to see it be developed, whether it should be changed from what is planned? I think it's, well, first of all, the Davis Cup for me growing up, and I think probably for a, a lot of people my age or older or in and around my age, it was, for me, tennis was the Grand Slams. For me, Wimbledon, uh, number one, uh, and Davis Cup. They were the biggest things that, that that were for me my goals ever to play in, and and that's the way I see it. I mean, I think you know the younger players 
it's changed a little bit now they're, they're you know the tour's got more way more events and, and people was, were pulling out of it so so I think there did need to be changes with it I think the biggest kind of thing that players will will talk about is the dates yes I think, I think everyone agrees that the, 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 the they would like to play in the Davis Cup it's, it's a huge event but I think to have it at the end of the year you know, hopefully this year will be a big, big success. But I think there's a few players that uh, that, that is a concern. So what, what are the alternatives? It, moving it earlier in the year, maybe after the US Open or in sort of in between that, that swing of post-US Open and the Asian? Yeah, but I mean, there's, there's only a few sort of slots in the year that, that the Davis Cup can be pushed to. I think the ATP kind of control the calendar. Uh, it's not like they can put it to, to wherever they want. You know, and after the US Open in that window there, which is a great window, you've got the Labour Cup is in there as well. So that would be, a, you know, an issue with the Labour Cup, I'm sure, you know, that they wouldn't be wanting the Davis Cup right next to it. And, and the Davis Cup wouldn't be wanting to be right next to the Labour Cup and the Asian events and the US Open. You know, it's kind of what I've learned as well is how many people have a say in this. It's, uh, it's not just down to the ITF of when to put the Davis Cup. It has to be agreed by a lot of different people. But I think that would probably be the best dates. Yes, if, that, if that's what you're asking me, I think that's the best dates. But it's, um, you know, there's a, there's a, there'll be after a few meetings to be had before that's agreed. And do you think it's ever possible that we could have a commissioner of tennis trying to work under all the, the different the bodies, the four Grand Slams, the ITF, the WTA and the ATP? Yeah, I, I think that would be the, the best is to have, like you say, one you know, person or, or or group that actually run tennis. At the minute, it just seems like there's a lot of, you know, moving parts. Like you say, the Grand Slams and got the ATP Cup now that Tennis Australia are involved in. Got the Labour Cup. Um, you got the Davis Cup. And everyone's trying to do... I don't think the re- relationship between all these people has been all that great. And it's something that, that uh, needs to improve, really, I think. Whether, you know, whether it's the ATP Cup that's a big success or the Davis Cup or the Labour Cup or the, the Grand Slams, I think in the interest of tennis as a whole, I, I do think it's very important that people start to communicate better than they have been. You've been a busy man with Andy and going back to uh, helping him over the next few weeks and months, hopefully. Um, you've obviously now got this new role with the ITF. And what's your involvement currently with the LTA and, and what you're hoping to do there? I mean, with the LTA, I'm part of the advisory board. Myself and Tim Henman do that. Uh, two or three times a year, just get round a table and, and and speak to speak to the guys there, and, and and that's my involvement with them. I'm not involved in the selection of, you know, where funding goes or the you know the strategy they have or who you know details about the national academies or anything like that. You know, my involvement is is just purely the advisory board, really. And and hopefully asking your advice and Tim's advice on on the transition from being a very good junior to the seniors and and the complications that can happen along the way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've had our experiences, you know, obviously, Tim, a lot more positive ones than I have, but we've, we, you know, we've still kind of been around the, the game long enough and, and seen good things that the LTA have done and things that could be better or... So, yeah, they, I mean, they absolutely ask our, our, our advice on that. Um, and I have to say, the meetings so far have been quite... They've been productive. It's been good. Again, we're not involved in the day-to-day. We give our opinion and of what we think sh- should happen or, or ideas that they could think about. But they're obviously ultimately responsible for... You know, they don't have to do what we, we sort of suggest. And uh, Wimbledon wildcards come up in that discussion? No. 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 Uh, not, no, I wouldn't be involved in that at all. That's something that happens with, the uh, you know, the 
I think Leon Smith for the men and Ian Bates for the women. That would be discussed by them and not and, and not myself and Tim at all. Obviously, Tim's involved very much so, but that's uh, in a different Wimbledon role, isn't it, that he has? But not not in the advisory board meeting, no. While we're on Wimbledon, did you watch the official opening of Court 1? Yeah, I watched it on TV. Yeah, it looked really good. I actually went to see the court as well a few days ago and I th- it looked amazing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, to, to that becoming like a... It's always been a, a great court, but to, to even showcase bigger matches even. And I think it's going to be a bigger ticket to get in that court from now on, now that you've got the roof guaranteed play, I think. Wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing some bigger matches being put on that court. Why not Federer, eh? After he's moaning last year, why not? Put him <laughs> <laughs> and perhaps we might see you in the players' box there, Jamie. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's um, great to have you on. Thank you so much for your time, and we wish you and indeed, of course, Andy Murray. We wish him the very best uh, going forward, and uh, congratulations to him on finally picking up his knighthood. But we must push on. We're off to Roland Garros very shortly, and we'll be back with you from there next week. Mm-hmm. 